0: Hi, this is Better Red Than Dead, a literature podcast from a left perspective. I'm Tristan. I'm Katie. Megan is off this week. She'll be back for our next episode. Today, for the second part of our annual fall Spectacular, we are going to be talking about The Body, which is Stephen King's 1982 novella about working class Maine kids who set off on an expedition one summer weekend to find the body of another kid who was killed by a train. It is a you know, typically gory and <laughs> macabre yes. as Steve. I mean, it's a Stevie cake episode. What do, you, what, what do you want? Right. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, just a uh, note again, uh, please remember our stickers and buttons promo. Write a re- a, us a review on either your preferred podcast platform or elsewhere on the Internet where people do that sort of thing. And if you send a screenshot of the review to BetterRedPodcast at gmail.com along with a mailing address. We will send you rad communists, better red than dead stickers and buttons, uh, book jerk button, Frankenstein, large adult sun button, uh, and so on. And also tell someone that you like them more than Trotsky. If you mean okay. it. If, if you, yes. I, well, yeah, right. I mean, and, and who, who of us would really mean that, right? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so. Uh, okay, so uh, Katie, why the body?
1: So I first encountered this in, in in fact, uh, I know exactly, November of 2006, and I know that because I still have my class notes. Uh, from the class that I read this in, which was intro to the novel, when I read it, the thing that really I think struck me what and this is a very I'm having an I was I was a sophomore, so please forgive my the <laughs> you know, uh, the, where I was at the time, this is appropriate, but. I remember just being really taken with the incredible complexity of the story that's sort Mm -hmm. of disguised behind the king's language, which is quite straightforward. Right. Um, And the way that it sort of activates a nostalgia that I certainly didn't have but Mm -hmm. but was still quite present for me at the time. And just these very basic things that were very... Exciting to me to figure out. I I have this picture that I've drawn of all of the narrative frames, and like in the middle, there the is, are the stories that the the boy in the body writes, and that you know. So it's like it was this very magical moment of discovering literature, you know. Um, <laughs> well,
0: no, yeah, no, I'm I, I'm glad that you uh, you at some point did that work because it it is actually very narratively complex. Um, and and I will say, I mean, something that you said the the writing of it. Yeah, I mean, I think King, you know, just because of how m- just the massive volumes of prose that he, he has has <laughs> and continues to produce, people don't realize that he, he is quite capable of being an extremely good and very tight writer. I don't think that's true throughout his fiction. I mean, you know, no. it, would, hard, hard, it would be hard to sustain that through how many millions and millions of words he's written. But like when he sits down to it, he could he could fucking write bad, you know,
1: he really can. And. Almost without fail, and, and admittedly, I haven't read, like, I didn't, i would sorry to Christine the car, I haven't read the book about how you murder everyone.
0: <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> but things that I have read of Stephen King's, there's always something that leaps, off, some sentence leaps off the page. It's like an extraordinary sentence, and it's often not more than a sentence. And like structurally, there's interesting stuff happening, too. But he's got that horror thing down of just making making your stomach sink. But
0: mm-hmm.
1: in, I think, a bigger way that is always gesturing to something outside of the frame. I think it has to do with the fact that he's so obsessed with writing in general. But I'll pull, like, I, I just want to pull this out really quick as we're doing this. But this isn't in the body. It's, it's in the same collection of short stories. But it's the worst story in the collection, Apt Pupil. And it's just briefly, it's about this kid who gets obsessed with his Nazi neighbors' naziness and goes on a killing spree.
0: Who was who was in that? The movie version of that?
1: Oh God, I don't know who was in it. I, I all I know is Bryan me, Singer directed it. But let me find. <laughs> let me find yeah, out. I'm
0: I, I, I'm I'm Wikipedia to myself. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Bryan Singer directed. Um, Ian McAllen, right? Yeah, that's right. Brad Brad Renfro, Which... Bruce Davidson, yeah. David Schwimmer was in it. That's right. Oh, <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. Fucking hell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's very weird. And the, they're like, you know, he the kid kills people with an ice pick or whatever. And the way the story ends is this like very typical Stephen King thing. Which, okay, he's done all these, this kid's done all these murders. I'm king of the world, he shouted mightily at the high blue sky and raised the rifle two-handed over his head for a moment. Then switching it to his right hand, he started toward the place above the freeway where the land fell away and where the dead tree would give him shelter. It was five hours and almost dark before they took him down. So this is like that final sentence is, to me, the essence of Stephen King He does it a bunch of places in the in the body, too, where he he sort of like pulls back and shows you kind of like the guts of of the fact that this is a story being written and that there's an authorial presence and that there's something there's something outside the frame, something more complicated. Mm -hmm. And that's really why I wanted to read it, because like this is a very popular work. People have seen Stand By Me. Oh, yeah, yeah. it, this is not high literature, but it's still really worth thinking about, mm-hmm. and it activates your brain. I think in ways that do make you think more about, like that, make you think more about literature. Period. Yeah. So anyway, I'll just ramble on about vaguely <laughs> why, I like Stephen King, all day.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that, and I, I mean, I'm I'm gonna say some things that uh that mirror that a bit. The other thing too, uh, you know, this follows on. Ira Levine from last week. His his politics are generally pretty good. I mean, they're they're in they're sort of more lib than left. I think uh, often, yeah. but King is at his best when the villain is sort of some social structure or some kind of hierarchy, which he does a lot. And uh, you know, in, in a way, I think actually work. You know, it, it, as I said, it, it, it follows well. I think on our Levine discussion from last week. Um, but I mean, you know, so that's one thing. Uh, you're right. The, the the he he is really interested in. Form and literature, what it is. and and, yeah, I, I definitely have some questions about that. I want to get into myself, yeah. so for I mean, uh, like why I wanted to to read this for one thing, I had a blast last year with our Carrie episode, and i've I've wanted yeah. to read more Stephen King for a long time. I have really enjoyed several of the films based off his books and particularly those based off his shorter books. So Shawshank stand by me, right. Which is Katie just said, it's the 1986 film version of the body starring Will Wheaton as Gordy Lachance, so young, <laughs> young, young, very young. River Phoenix is, in, and, uh, you know, and, Jerry O'Connell. Uh, but yep. Uh, yes. Uh, and, uh, also, uh, Kiefer Sutherland, right. <laughs> um, oh, <shit. laughs> yeah. It's a, no, it's, it's, a it's, it's emerging stars of the 1980s, uh, really, you know, but, Packed, really? uh, vehicle there, but yes, yeah, so it will. We as Gordy, um, and and while Wesley Crusher is no one's favorite TNG <laughs> character, I'm sorry, that's not, that's definitively not true. Um, if but, he is,
1: call me because I want to <laughs> talk to you.
0: Uh, any any, uh, any any TNG connection is going to get me at least a little excited. um yeah. and but no, no. anyone
1: anyone who's fa- uh, this is a tangent, but anyone whose <laughs> favorite is any of the Crushers, okay, got <laughs> problem. Uh, I mean I I like
0: I like Dr. Crusher a bit. Um I, I mean not I more than but t- actually, yeah. But go ahead.
1: P- please don't let me stop you from from doc- I like Dr. Crusher very much, but if anyone said and out oh, of right. all of, out of everyone in, the, in in Star Trek, Beverly Crusher is my fate. Yeah. I find her the most compelling. She speaks to me the most. She's my favorite.
0: I see. I, I see what you're saying. Yeah. It would. Yes. I mean, it's not. It's not like Data or uh, you know Picard yeah. or even or Captain Jane. you know? It's yeah. It's uh, it's something else. Um. But uh, we I mean, you know very fine supporting character. And and I mean I, I like I like her hell of a lot more than um uh, uh, McCoy. <laughs> you know, oh so,
1: yes I, I should i thought you were gonna say you like her better than um the other do- the season two doctor
0: oh pulaski well pulaski? that was Who I yeah, like yes I, well and she she was she they they tried to make mccoy again and see it, it, it up yeah. to the they get they were like okay you know how mccoy was racist about vulcans well this doctor <laughs> needs to be racist about androids androids
1: yeah
0: <laughs> <Anyways>. <laughs> So um, anyway, sorry, not to the the Star Trek digression, but what I was going to say podcast was, now. <laughs> uh, we, we get right. Wesley Crusher or no, um, any TNG connection is going to get me at least a little bit excited, um, and uh, and and yeah, no, I, I love that uh, film as a kid, and with things like Shawshank and my conversations with other uh, Stephen King fans, I've long had a working theory that he. Kind of needs that short form because <laughs> his, his writing is generally great and he always has amazing ideas. And if the novel isn't 800 pages, he stays with the amazing idea and doesn't suddenly drop in. <coughs> so you see, the villain wasn't Violent Husbands and Jack Torrance of Psychological Demons and Alcoholism, but rather Ghosts from the 1920s. <laughs> you know, like, that, <laughs> da 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 da. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Flapper Ghosts, everyone. It was yeah. Flapper
0: Ghosts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And the body kind of yet again confirmed that to me. A, a really harrowing, but also really fun and really tight 178 pages. There's a ton yeah. of stuff here I'm dying to talk about. One, I think not only are there really interesting things happening around the concept of childhood. There are lots of interesting intersections there with class and also gendering and sexuality. I do think the violence and cruelty of American childhood and adolescence is a huge theme here that's that's central to Carrie as well and and, and other Al King too. I'm also really interested in what King is trying to do formally. I mean, it's I, I think this you know goes to some of your questions, Katie. In that this kind of reads to me as a Homeric, homosocial, slightly homophobic epic, although I think self-critically, <laughs> very much self-critically, so right. Which and, and I'm dying, to, yeah, I'm dying to talk about all of that.
1: Yeah, you have two really solid working theories going on here. So, j- just saying, <laughs> you know, that's two two more than I have, and yeah.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, it's, yeah. Th- this will be fun. This will be fun. Okay. So today we are going to be talking about form, uh, whether that be the novel, horror, epic, and myth too, maybe class, uh, gender, and childhood and adolescence. So, Katie, uh, can you give us the summary?
1: I would love to give you the summary. This story takes place in 1960 rural Maine. And so we meet the the main dude, the main guy, Gordy Lachance, and his friends, who are like 12, 13, and all have really terrible lives. Gordy um, has this much older brother, Denny, who went to the army and died in a car accident before the events of the story. And it, Gordy loved his brother but kind of remotely he says but also like he says he doesn't miss his brother that much and he won't stop talking about his brother so right um right. you know <laughs> yeah. Yeah. that sort of
0: I will you know. say uh, in Stand By Me they they uh, John Cusick plays the brother and it is really yeah. yeah, a 1980s cast and Damn. they make they make their relationship um a lot closer than it is in the novel, which I, I think is kind of for film. I mean, you know, in, in, in you with a ninety minute film, you have to do things a little bit quicker than you do in prose. But uh, anyway, that was just I, I just I just rewatched Stand by Me as well, and that was an interesting difference I saw.
1: That is interesting because the this little snippets you get in here are like very sweet, but they're so sprinkled through, so it's not like it's not schmaltzy, but it still could like it still could be, you
0: know? Right? Yeah.
1: Um. Yeah at any rate Gordy's got this relationship with his with his um dead brother and to Gordy it's it seemed that they were the center of his parents universe to the point that he, there's this, this scene where he says that he's so ignored at dinner that at one point he says, will someone pass the goddamn spuds when he wants the potatoes? And mm-hmm. nobody reacts. It's all sort of depressing and bad. And even more depressing, we're going to get to more depressing things. His his best friend, Chris Chambers, who is the center of his social or developmental universe and who has a very terrible life because his father drinks and like absolutely beats the shit out of him. He's broken yeah. his wrist. He's fucked up his face. Too bad for him to go to school. And he is somehow the second worst dad in the story.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. We meet Gordy's other friend, uh Teddy. Do Am saying Duchamp? <laughs> <laughs> Duchamp. <laughs> well, what?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, <laughs> I haven't the seen the movie. The French would be Duchamp. Uh, dude, but probably I'm guessing Duchamp. Okay,
1: I'm gonna say Teddy Duchamp. Then his father stormed the beaches at Normandy. A fact that that Teddy loves to repeat. And he went violently insane and burned Teddy's ears off, like on a stove, during this delusion that he's being besieged by Nazis.
0: And I will say, which which, like extremely upsetting uh, description, obviously. And, I, you know, that again, I mean, that King's, uh, you know, the, the horror of like everyday life is a huge thing for him in a way that, again, I think that his fiction is at its most gutting when it sort of stays there and doesn't like supernaturalize it you know, um, and and I'm not opposed, I'm not opposed at all to like supernatural horror, but I just think that his great strengths are in that, the just grotesquerie and um, yeah, horror of sort of, of a whole slice of, of American life. And, uh, and and again, I mean, this, this, this novel does that in really, really effective and also really just, you know, very upsetting ways.
1: Absolutely. And, and one thing that I don't, wind up mentioning is that vietnam the vietnam war is an undercurrent in this in this story yeah so there's a sense of that this man's mind was totally destroyed by by war and that this is going on again and that his son so they say like quote unquote feeble-minded that people think which is not something you should ever say uh It's how it's put in the story, and he's got these big Coke bottle glasses. He says, and he has this high shrieking laugh. And so, when you're introduced to him, he's already kind of set apart a little bit from the other from the other boys. And then you find out very quickly what's what's happened to Teddy in his life. He Teddy still goes to visit him regularly, and we're to understand that because of kind of because of this traumatic history and life that he has that he's living. He takes extreme risks. So he dodges trains and like feels the hot air from the train, you know, like, and he's got no regard whether he gets splatted into a billion pieces fighting uh someone who's much bigger than him. Like he'll fight he'll fight an adult. Gordy says if you broke both his arms, he'd bite, you know? Um yeah. it's just that kind of a thing. And so Gordy, Chris and Teddy are playing cards in this treehouse when their other friend Vern Tessio comes in. And he also is hiding under his porch and acting <laughs> something sad and compelling. He's looking for these lost pennies. And uh, anyway, he hears his brother and, their, and his friend say that when they were driving around the stolen car, they saw the dead body of this missing kid named Ray Brower. And he's been hit by a train. And so when the kid who Found the body, found it. He pukes all over the place. So this is what it looks like. It looks like something that makes you puke. Yeah. And the four of them decide, the four, uh, Gordy, Chris, Teddy, and Vern, decide that they're going to go look at the dead body and, quote unquote, discover it and call it in to the cop, whatever. Mm-hmm. They have this whole cover story for their parents. That they're going to uh, about camping out in the yard. And uh, because this this body is like 20 or 30 miles away. So
0: mm-hmm. right, yeah, it's it's a, it is a, it's a long fucking trip for a couple of twelve year olds to be taking on on foot. Um, it's and, wild. And I, yeah, it is. It is wild, and I think that it that signals. I, a few things there isn't almost in the kind of twain tradition sort of like Huck Finn the journey like the this, the American journey um which you know I think I, actually there is a real Huck Finn connection there and that it's the the escape of the trauma of this abusive childhood to just kind of like set out on this grand expedition but I also think again the fact that they they think that they could more or less do this like how little mm-hmm. their parents are they're going to be missed and things like that it's the the, the sort of neglect is, is is super part of it. Um, And I I just wanted to say one one thing, one really important thing about the friend group um, is Class, I think. I mean, Gordy. Gordy reads to me as lower middle class. Like, I mean, I'm very close to you know being being working class. The others are, I mean, decidedly working class. This space has all the descriptions of like a, a sort of collapsing mill town. Chris's family, we know, doesn't have running water and so forth. So, so I think the the violence that all of them live with and in and 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 Gordon, it's more kind of like neglect than. You know, overtly physical violence, uh, or like actively physical violence, maybe I should say. I think that just the hopelessness of this space. If not directly, well, I think one directly producing, but also just making pervasive those conditions is is really central to this story. And and Katie, something you mentioned in your notes, even that the kid, the kid whose body they're going after, like he he was himself out on like a blueberry expedition, which you know it does it does sound very kind of like Americana, like oh isn't that sweet or whatever. But he was walking miles and miles to do this and for canning and stuff. So I mean, there's almost a subsistence level motivation behind what like the 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 kid that got killed you know which is actually not something i had i had thought about until you you pointed that out in our in our notes
1: honestly it wasn't something that i had thought about until weirdly enough there's a story about this kid that throws a bunch of blueberries and it that's yeah that's what um yeah that's what did it but yeah no i think you're you're raising a lot of incredibly important things and um and there's this other thing that Like, I, you're absolutely right. Like, so Gordy or Gordon, he's, he's expected to go to college and, Mm -hmm. um, and his brother too was in the army, but had a bunch of like college pendants in his room. Mm -hmm. So this is the kind of, that's the kind of track, pardon the pun, that his life is on. He's going to go to, he has the kind of, he's in the kind of family where you're you're going to go to col you're going to go to college. It's not an unexpected thing like um well we'll find out some more about that later. Yeah, but yeah. since you mentioned his parents also it is important i think that he's going to see this body and he's he's a little kid who needs help and he's he's going to visit his brother. That's yeah. Majorly what he's doing. Yeah. They're about to head off on this this many mile trip and before they do we have the first kind of interlude of the adult Uh, Of the adult Gordy who has become a successful writer and this interlude comes in the form of his stories that are embedded in the in the text of the body. So we have the first one of these stories that the adult Gordy writes. It's called Stud City. And it's a fairly shitty tale about this guy, Chico, whose brother has died when he's fixing a car. And he was also having sex with his stepmother, but only Chico knew about it. And also, like Chico's being cool and having sex. And then the adult narrator of the story knows that this is just sort of shitty writing.
0: Yeah. Well and and he also he 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 actually direct I mean it's more than just uh shitty. Yeah. Writing it's also like very misogynist. I mean, so it's like it's like oh the 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 girl he was with was a virgin, and you know just these like lurid descriptions. And, like he says, oh you were chariot. I mean, it's really fucking gross. And he and he does he like the uh the, the when we get back into Gordon's voice, he notes that he he says uh um, it's attitude like well, this is what he said like look how immature yeah. this piece of writing that I published was. He said it's attitude toward women goes beyond hostility and to the point which verges on actual ugliness. Two of the women at Stud City are slut and the third is a simple receptacle who says things like "I love you, Chico," and come here, <laughs> I'll give you cookies, right? And and then he says, "Chico," on the other hand, is a macho cigarette class working cigarette smoking working class hero who could have stepped whole and breathing from the gloves of a Bruce Springsteen record. <laughs> and, I mean, the story itself is not funny. The story itself is like, oh my god, this is fucking gross, you know? Yeah, but, yeah. But the self criticism is kind of. I mean, it's it's just it, it's a it's a funny way in which like a uh, the the text is imagining an author doing kind of like self self critique of their work. But the critique that the adult Gordon LaChance identifies also does say some interesting things about the story of the body itself, in that it is an extremely sort of, at least homosocial narrative, right? And and I and I think in a yeah. lot of like very endearing ways. Like Chris and Chris and Gordy uh, have you know some really like emotionally not not physically but like emotionally intimate moments. Um, it this is very much a world of boys like, emerging in adolescence, and like as part of that, there's also this sort of homophobia uh, in how they you know they 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 call each other like anti gay slurs all the time. And, and which I mean I think is just is it one just kind of trying to evoke a certain kind of boy culture from this you know this this period in in, in American history. But Gordon, the adult Gordon also, I mean, like he, he said, he, he says like as an adult that he was basically afraid of being, like, he didn't want to show emotion. Like, you know, you'll get to, you know, some of his friends die later in life because he didn't want to look, you know, be perceived as gay basically. Mm -hmm. And, and I, and so, I mean, I am kind of, okay. So, you know, to what extent is the, the big sort of meta narrative of this kind of aware of how it is constructing sort of gender categories and like performing masculinity and to what extent is is it not you know what I mean like I it's like I think there's a lot of really interesting stuff in here on how sort of like masculinity and hetero masculinity gets produced. Um, I'm just not fully sure at all points of how conscious the text itself is that that's what it's doing. you know what I mean?
1: Yes, absolutely, absolutely, and I will say to the, I don't think at all points it's maybe necessarily the most conscious, but I, yeah. there yeah, is sure, one yeah. there's one moment where I think it's more conscious than than one might think. There's a scene where, uh, and I'll get to the the news of it, but the adult narrator gets like th- this awful, awful news he that he reads in the newspaper that basically out spoiler alert chris yeah. has died
0: mm-hmm.
1: and he says he doesn't let his wife he, he doesn't want to let his wife see him cry because he doesn't want her to think he's gay or something yeah, like that's like that's what i
0: yeah that's what i was thinking of that scene exactly yeah
1: which is on its face an absurd yes. to like you know so yeah. I have to at least think Stephen King is in is, is yes, some manner self-aware.
0: I agree. Um, it, is, it, is, it, is, it is so absurd that it could not be a sort of critical gesture of the text itself for sure.
1: But the adult narrator, right? Like that's one of these things where I don't th- – that is what I'm really unclear on, which I think is yeah. what you were saying, but I'm not – Yes, uh, yeah.
0: Yes, yes. Okay. I know, Yeah. I mean, yes, I like largely that, but then also like even like if to what extent we could like extrapolate the Stephen King voice putting this all together. But yeah. I agree. I, I think that I think that there is some distance there. And I think that the the biggest narrative around this is sort of a, a, a very aware of all of this in a way that the adult narrator is still kind of a shithead, you know? So. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And I'm also no Stephen King apologist, by the way. I'm, I'm not even like yeah. a big fan. So I, yeah, 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 you know, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: I think he's good, though. Okay, so the the body, yeah, so we, so we get this this first story and then we're on the way to see a dead body. So as they're walking, it's hot as hell. It's like 90 degrees and they're walking along the train tracks to see this dead body and they stop along the way at this convenience store to buy like a buttload of hamburger because that was <laughs> what you did for snacks in 19, there were no, you know, like 1960, there's no dunkaroos, no fruit by the foot, you just buy a bunch of hamburger meat.
0: When I'm when I'm wa- doing a 30 mile walk in 90 degree weather, I like to get raw hamburger with no ice or refrigeration <laughs> to keep it as I and, and planned to cook it like 15 hours later. Yeah, yep. extra yep. flavor that way. It's very good.
1: <laughs> one of my one of my very favorite teachers in high school who's a living, breathing angel Used to carry around. He would take us on like these 30 mile hikes and stuff. And with with a huge meat stick, it was the only <laughs> time that he would allow himself to eat like a huge stick of cured meat, uh-huh. and yeah, he yeah. would just fuck. He would just gnaw that thing just yeah. down. I mean, that's less disgusting than this. <laughs> oh
0: yeah. all. Like, I, I will eat the hell out of some beef jerky, so you know. <laughs> that, yeah. but that. But the thing is, that is cured, and it's not. You know, it's like a <laughs> raw hamburger. <laughs> is it has the? I mean, hey, look, I I love a hamburger, but it ha- it, it is a it has the capacity to become a bacteria. Bacteria, uh just yeah. like um uh, a terrarium of bacteria very rapidly. Yes, yes. yes.
1: <laughs> it is, it's it yeah. might no longer be a living cow, but it is still living.
0: Yeah, um, oh yes, yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so they're about to have um whatever you get. Uh, they're about to have mad cow disease. Um yeah. <laughs> they're about to have diarrhea, folks. Uh yeah. so Gordy's carrying all this hamburger and he cuts through the dump and there's this famous dog, Chopper, who's, like, supposed to be the scariest dog on the planet, and he's owned by the king of the dump, who's mm-hmm. named Milo.
0: Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And
1: the, and there's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. And there's all this mythology around Chopper. Like, Milo can say, Chopper, hand, and he'll bite your hand, or, like, you know... And no one wants to hear Chopper sick as balls or whatever. You know that's like the that's the terror, the, the ultimate terror. But when when Chopper chases Gordy and he he jumps a fence to get away from him, he looks back through and he just he, all he sees is a shitty little dog. Yeah. And so the boys start taunting the dog, and he. Like run, he like bashes his nose against the fence in this in this totally impotent display of of ding dong dogness, and he it turns out he's not he's not Cujo, who was actually mentioned here as an alternative scary dog. Yeah, but anyway, Milo is as the adults are in this just bizarrely reactive and. And insanely abusive to children. And so he starts going in on Teddy's dad being insane. And Teddy tries to physically attack him in spite of the fact that he's a tiny child and his friends sort of drag him away. Uh,
0: th- there is a line with the with Chopper comes out and yeah you're, like as you said he's just yeah. he's just this regular, you know, not at all scary dog that uh I, that you know when I what I read it I just thought oh that's kind of a funny line, but then I I actually think it might be a little bit deeper, right? So that uh he write this is what with what, what Chopper appears, Gordon tells us, I turned around holding one skinny and got my first look at the famous Chopper and my first lesson in the vast difference between myth and reality. And <laughs> (laughs) I actually came back to that line because one thing I have been toying with at, at, you know, having, you know, having finished this a few days ago is the idea of epic as well, which I think I mean, I already Mm -hmm. I I, I was sort of thinking those terms when I uh, suggested the, the Huck Finn parallels, but there is. Like there is a lot of like Homeric stuff here. One, the deep symbolism of the journey itself, right? Like, I mean, yeah, like the lost brother idea, the always fraught relationship with the fa- the the kind of absent father, the storyteller who is a character themselves, like like Gordon as the yeah. kind of like bard of this journey. Um, all the there's a crew with the the kind of comedic flaws with with Ted, like they're that they're kind of dumbasses, right? With Teddy yep. and Verd, uh, and, and then like chris as the sort of like hero but who has these kind of heroic flaws i do feel like epic at some scale is something that this novel is trying to do and but then that line becomes like it it gets a added weight in that it's like yeah but this isn't this actually isn't myth right this is like what i'm trying to tell you is something quote unquote in in the real and so like that structure might be a little misleading but we're still going to play with that structure anyway if that makes sense
1: yeah, I think you really hit on something that's vital to th- to this story. There's there's also this thing that happens when they are flipping a coin to see who's going to go get the hamburger. And yeah. they get a goocher, which is like everybody gets tails. And so, like, oh, you yeah. know. No,
0: um, that, and that feels like some shit out of the Odyssey, actually. <laughs> you know Yeah. Does.
1: Yeah, it's super like fate or oriented, you know, like th- there are many axes that plays itself out on, but that, that, that idea. And then, so they flip again and everyone else apart from Gordon gets tails. So, yeah, yeah, and that bears itself out. Like they are it, all of the rest of them all die.
0: Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean that that is like fa- like fate in that sort of classical sense of like the, the god like yeah I mean but that that's inescapable even for like the kind of hero right um which is totally. yeah no I, no yeah it's it's I don't know I mean I, like again I I'm positive that King was thinking of yeah let me let me play with that I, I just I'm not I guess I'm not hundred percent sure where it ends in that register but we'll we maybe we come back to that when we get to the end of the the, the narrative
1: yeah, definitely that would be that would be great because we're getting to a part of the narrative that, oh boy, this was this is a weird part. some stuff happens here. The boys cross this railroad trestle, so they're going over this bridge. and and like gordy is cr- like crawling across it, and he feels with his hand that there's a on the track that there's a train coming. He just immediately like, and literally wets his pants, yeah. And so he he has to run over the bridge, which has been this terrifying thing to cross. But now it can be just run over, um. And yeah. he and Gordy basically are seconds away from getting kersplatted. And-
0: and and just to, like why it's so terrified is it's like there's no like catwalk on this thing or anything. I like it. It's the, the 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 floor is the cross ties of the track, and that's it. The, every every time you put your foot down, like on either side of it, there's you know a hundred foot drop to the river below. So like yeah, that would be scary. It's also the kind of thing the kids would fucking like. Oh my god, I would love to run across that. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, like there there is there is that kind of like the the in addition to the like the horror. I mean what and I think this is one reason why people love that movie too is that in addition to like how deeply fucking tragic it is and how you know scary and upsetting a lot of it is There is that the idea of this like nostalgia for a kind of childhood where you would do like where you would get in like weird and wacky shit with your friends, which very few people actually have. And and also, I mean, I think just like how fucked up their family structure is sort of like, yeah, it would to to be in a place to do this kind of thing is very deeply upsetting in of itself. But there's also like this idea of like the freedom of it or like the exhilaration of it or or something like that, that we don't that, you know, that, that could have only existed in childhood and that we don't. We don't have any more. And again, like nostalgia is a very sort of like conservative <laughs> idea. And <laughs> I, I don't think it's something that the novel is putting forward as like, yes, this is we're let's be uncritical about it. But I also think it's very it's very much there. It's sort of activated as a kind of force of the narrative, too.
1: Absolutely. I, I gr- agree entirely. And I think that it really like it. it's wild how. How much it activates that? Like I was never a l- little boy in 1960. <laughs> never happened. Yeah. Um. And and yet there's something. And also, like you'll be shocked to find out that um, I in fact like being a fat nerd indoors, and I didn't <laughs> like to do scary yeah. things. I mean,
0: I, I like so I you know I I I'm I'm I came up country. Um, so i i grew up a little bit more approximate to this shit. uh but you know it would be more like the hey um let's take a model rocket engine and glue a straw to so we, we, we will launch it without any rocket and um i mean I, what well, let me t- tell you what happens it will go whizzing past <laughs> your head and smack into a tree and you're like thank god i didn't just die um but it, you know it, <laughs> but, but I, it, it certainly wasn't like running over a train trestle like that i will say um the ditches in low Delaware were very very fun and there was this one sewer <laughs> that's a that,
1: sentence you don't hear a lot
0: yeah, yeah. there was this one it, it wasn't a sewer pipe it's like a dra- like agricultural drainage pipe um that was you know like almost kind of a man-sized opening in this ditch and you clown-sized man could
1: come yeah, out I'm yeah.
0: sorry <laughs> yeah clouds like yeah we're going into it now and um we were like oh I wonder what's down there and so you know my I don't want to say bravest more uh most uh least reflective i will say friend uh <laughs> said that like if we would give him a sword he would explore it and he did he went in about you know 30 <laughs> feet and then came out and was like that kind of sucks guys he's <laughs> you know, so like, it like it's just dark and i got a bunch of spider webs on it and 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 the thing was like all, i mean this was you know we were all laughing our asses off because it's like yeah what the fuck did you think it was gonna be like you just crawled <laughs> into a drainage pipe that is going into like an agricultural d- ditch man you know <laughs> <But> <laughs> yeah.
1: these are those are like the two so those are like the outtakes of these like incredibly risky things because yeah. <laughs> yes. those things can only go two ways you know yeah
0: yeah 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 yeah. Yeah. It's exactly. either
1: like that kind of sucked, or it's like, oh my God, we could have died.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. Uh, <laughs>
1: and there's just nothing in between. <laughs> but yeah. So, oh, fuck. Um,
0: sorry. We're, I, yeah. We were at the uh, crossing the railroad trestle, right?
1: Oh, yes. And surprise, surprise, they all live. <laughs> but it's still a great suspense scene. Yeah. And, after this, they're eating some of the much talked about hamburger yeah. and Gordy tells his friends this story that appears both sort of half told and in its quote-unquote published form. so it's it's like a twice told tale but not really mm-hmm. and Chris, is super into Gordy's story. And that that like all of them are into his stories. And but Chris like defends his storytelling honor when Vern keeps interrupting him, but he's not interrupting him to be an asshole. He's like just kind of excited. He's like sort of excited. But anyway, the story's fucking disgusting.
0: Yeah, it's about yes. this
1: kid. <laughs> yeah. it, yeah, it's about this kid, and I'm putting quotes around this one too, Lardass Hogan, and you can tell by what he is called how everyone has treated him his whole life. He enters a pie-eating contest, and his his parents are like, I get to spend that five bucks when you before you win the pie-eating contest. But the thing is, it's not about the pie. Hogan has chugged um, castor oil before the contest so yeah. he could spew vomit on his tormentors
0: mm-hmm. he
1: he sets off this chain reaction that he, so he barfs on the guy next to him at this like town fair where everyone's there and so it sets off a town-wide chain reaction of barfing <laughs> yeah. at the yeah. county fair
0: yeah <laughs> and
1: it's i don't want to do this but i'm gonna a little just to let you know just for anyone who has a strong stomach
0: yeah yeah okay it, it, it is, yeah. So, no, it is, it, it, the, the, that scene in the movie is disgusting, right? And it is, I mean, it's disgusting enough in the book, but it's, it's also the kind of thing 12 year old boys would, would, yeah, think is the greatest spectacle that has ever happened, you know? <laughs> like, y-
1: yes. It's how it's written is just so revolting. Like, yeah. here we go. Suddenly, the moment of revenge was at hand. His stomach, uh, loaded beyond endurance revolted it clenched like a strong hand in case in a slick rubber glove his throat opened Lardass raised his head he grinned at bill travis with blue teeth puke rumbled up his throat like a six-ton peter belt shooting through a tunnel it roared out of his mouth in huge blue and yellow glurt warm and gaily gleaming it covered bill travis only had time to utter one nonsense syllable blah 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 woman screamed um in rapid succession like a replay of the firecrackers bill travis blew a great and seemingly supercharged jet of vomit over the first two rows of spectators his stunned face (laughs) proclaimed to (laughs) one and all man i just can't believe i'm doing this
0: yeah it's i mean it is yeah it's incredible um (laughs) And and I was and the Castro like like the going it like it is an intentional strategy of revenge is uh is is uh, is is a great aspect of it and I was I mean eating contests of you know themselves are already uh, repulsive and gross I uh, yes. when I when I was in college I uh, for the col when I was editor of my college paper I covered. Wing Bowl in Philadelphia, which if, if for 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 you for you who aren't from Philadelphia, okay. Um, so like WIP Sports Radio, uh, they 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 uh, back in the day when the Eagles used to be terrible all the time, they they did this thing that's like let's have this free event at five in the morning for the morning show where we will get the drunkest <laughs> rednecks from South Jersey in here uh, to to watch. Uh, yeah, contestants eat chicken wings and. Yes, there was much barfing. It was disgusting. <laughs> uh, just the amount of just like freely thrown around at this at this event. Uh, just uh, just like just like horrifically. I, anyway, I'm, the, like just a, it's a very reactionary atmosphere among yes. other things. We'll say um, it was one. Like I said, I was it was like yeah, hey, we should cover this. You know, for I don't know, like a human interest piece of the paper. It is it is one of the most bewildering and revolting spectacles I've ever seen, and no one went into that intentionally. To make themselves barf gallons of blueberries, either. You know?
1: so, <laughs> no, it's still. It's still okay, also, it takes. Uh, I. Don't think you mentioned that it takes place in a stadium now? Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. A the yeah. stadium? Ba- ba-
0: ba- back in those days, it was the, the first union center. Now I think it's the, <laughs> I, I can't even remember. It's the Wells Fargo, wherever the Sixers play, but.
1: Yeah, fucking anyway, yeah. Wachovia, still <laughs> Wachovia, I have no idea. It was
0: Wachovia for um, a while. Maybe it's the Wells Fargo center now, I don't know, yeah, anyway, but. Oh,
1: yeah, it, it, that would make sense because Wells Fargo has Wachovia. Um yes. wow, we're yeah, that's really, right. Yeah, we're yeah, really yeah. getting into yeah. it. <laughs> Um <laughs> okay, but the, the, I have to say that um when i i w- w- this is an aside, but i uh was the managing editor of my college newspaper. All right. So you're oh. dealing with a celebrity here, Tristan.
0: Yeah, yeah no, me too. We were, <laughs> we, were, we, were, we were both managing editors. Yeah. That's... <laughs> yeah.
1: It was totally the same. Um, <laughs> but the only thing that I like to do was find the stupidest events possible and go to them and write like l- lightly humorous uh, write-ups of them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's- I mean, that, yeah, that's, that's great though. You know, that's, uh, it's not, it's not easy to fill a college newspaper, particularly if it's like a daily edition, you know. So,
1: no, oh my, no, I was going to, I was going to ghost tours. I was yeah. going to, uh, psychic fairs. I was yeah. going to all of it and I yeah. would have killed to cover Wing Bull.
0: It was, I mean, it, I almost got killed. You know, but, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah.
1: Turning, turning away from, uh, Wing Bull, <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> somehow. We'll get I thought, um, somehow
0: with two of us this is wackier than it, it, it even is with, and it's plenty wacky with three, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, really... no, Me- Megan's refined uh, West Coast presence isn't keeping our, yes. our our mid Atlantic shithead under <laughs> under <around>. <laughs> uh, <laughs>
1: yeah. Just we're just uh, fully off the rails and <laughs> in the wing bowl
0: <laughs> uh,
1: oh man! But and uh, back to the story in which more shit happens than you think. The next thing is they get caught in this giant thunderstorm and yeah. then go swimming, and Gordy gets a leech like in the vicinity of his balls. Uh, no, like on his scrotum. balls.
0: They're on his balls.
1: They're on his. Ba- okay, I couldn't. <laughs> it's I, not I didn't the want to go back and find <laughs> out which part of a, a, yeah. The it,
0: uh, it's it it's it is as revolting as it could possibly be. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's it's hell disgusting and it's, um
0: and it's sorry and it, it is it's also like as a 12 year old boy that might be among your deepest fear like you know if i go swimming oh my god on my balls like i'm when i was 12 yeah i would that would have given me nightmares for 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 years you know
1: so. the the height of of, of disgusting <laughs> terror yeah. and so he like everyone's gotten 11 billion leeches but you know gordon's the lucky one who's got the the ball leech or whatever um <laughs> And he he faints, uh, at, uh, t- takes it off and faints. It's quite disgusting. And after the blueberry barfs, you're ready to. You think you're prepared, but this is also gross. So anyway, they get to the body, but the bunch of older assholes that includes Vern's brother, who unwittingly told them about it, whose name is Billy, um, plus a bunch of other nickname guys, um, eyeball and fuzzy, and also Jackie and Vince. That's those are less nicknamey. And there's this really very really bizarre standoff. And Chris, we find out early in the story, Chris has brought a gun, like his dad's gun, and and he did like this possible maybe a prank where he told. Gordy, it wasn't loaded, but it was. And so he like shoots a trash can and yeah. it's this it's um, it's an opposite Chekhov's gun because you forget about it.
0: And and I, so I, the thing is, I don't like I don't think it was a prank. I mean, Gordon thinks that initially. But what Chris says is that he didn't know it was loaded. His dad was just so drunk that he must have put it away without unloading it. And I mean, given everything else we know about Chris's dad, I that that kind of tracks to me, you know, so
1: it I does mean, and i actually i had forgotten that that yeah. part and he he does like he's like he swear you know and it does seem like chris is not the um the the type of character who is like bullshitting about that no, he's a,
0: he, no he's a he's a he's a good guy i mean he's and he's he's a part of like the tragedy of him is that he is you know, because of like his his fucked up family and his class, he's perceived by the towns to be basically just this like reprobate, and and he's not. I mean, he's he's like yeah, he's, he's he's Gordon's best friend, and we see why. So yeah, I don't like I don't I he does not read to me as the kind of character who would introduce like the possi- like da- the possibility of death as like a prank. You know what I mean? He's he just seems more. Responsible than that, and and again, part of the tragedy is that like none of the town, the people in town, other than Chris, or other than sorry, than other than Gordy, recognize that about him.
1: It's true, and it's like his brother is a big reason for for this.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And the the other like his definitely his class position, his which has which is related to the brother, obviously, and his um his dad and all this stuff. He's also sort of like he is still a kid who brought a gun to yeah. the, so,
0: yes. So, yeah.
1: So it's, it's, so it's, it's these things. And it's, it's sort of like a, it's even sadder because he, he like brought it for bears, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: It seems like, seems like that's real. To protect them. He's, yeah. thir- he's 12, yeah, it's, 13. Um, it's,
0: I mean, you know, it's fucking scary. They're going out into like the, the, well, and, and I mean, another point that the novel makes is that, you know, in this, in the temporal setting of this time, that this is a part of Maine that was very, very undeveloped. There's, there's a line early on where, um where Lachance, or I mean, I guess Kang ultimately is saying that, you know, like 20 years later, the story wouldn't have made any sense because, you know, if you walked five miles in any direction, you'd find a road. But that w- this was before then so yes yeah. so, i mean they are going off like fairly deep into like wilderness and i mean you know that's that's not not scary as an adult that's really fucking scary when you're a kid you know so i i again i get it i don't i don't like i think i the, in in context the gun seems like a very um like you see why a kid would like i i you know i need protection you know like just just out of fear like i you know i i need i i just i'm i'm in a little bit too far over my head or something like that right
1: Absolutely no, totally. It's like a very understandable, like kid thing to do. And the fact that Chris is the one who just can get a gun, like, because his yeah, dad yeah, is, yeah. you know what I mean. So, so there's a lot, there's a lot going on there. So, okay, th- there's this, it's st- the strange standoff. So Chris breaks out this gun and shoots it into the air, and he tells Ace, who's like the biggest toughest big kid to basically like get fucked and ace then brings up gordy's brother denny to say like come on like be be cool like your brother like would have been cool basically and it enrages him very understandably and they're at an impasse until it becomes clear that chris might actually like do something and so and in, in any event, um, they all see the body and you're given to understand that they kind of see their futures in it's dead eyeball in some way. To wrap this up, the older boys let the cops know. They'd call in an anonymous tip. They let the cops know where the body is. And then they seriously beat the shit out of Gordy. It's very disgusting. They like break his fingers. They kick him in the balls they are, And you they, they think they're going to kill him until the neighbor um, yeah. comes over. Chris's brother breaks his arm, fucks up his face. It's all like a, and the other two boys get beaten too, but not as badly. And so it's this like violent, awful end to a violent, awful story. Mm -hmm. But it's kind of a wrap on that part of the narrative. And we, we fast forward, kind of fast forward to the present in the way that things go over, that, uh, the intervening at least a year gets touched on so quickly. So the group of the four of them separates, essentially. Teddy and Vern um, stay in the treehouse, symbolically and actually. And Gordy starts getting ready for college, presumably to become a writer. And this intense bond he has with Chris endures. And, and he winds up Also sort of supporting him through also taking classes to prepare for college. And he makes it in spite of the fact that he's treated like shit at home and at school. But the idea is that because someone someone believes in him and then it it seems like other people do, you know, fall in. But because Gordy had some kind of faith in him first, Mm -hmm. it's like and, and actually assisted him um that he's able to do this
0: yeah and uh yeah and uh which is really interesting um i mean it's yeah well i mean it's all of this is so heartbreaking to how, how gordon makes it out which i think we could think of as like class you know class he you know he's the one he he is he's just he even though his you know parents don't kind of remember he exists um he has like just enough economic security to be a like the like college classes are always something that he's going to take you know and then Mm -hmm. he can pull he can pull his one friend along but not the up you know that 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 can kind of work like at an individual level but it certainly can't work you know across the town and so you know it, again it's like part of the tragedy actually is and the this a- equation of who who is who is going to ever be in a position to sort of like escape these like kind of horrific conditions that they're 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 all growing up in
1: yeah no absolutely and i think there's something really interesting about that too which is the fact that it seems to be his cla- his class position allows him to have some kind of a future outside of this town per- like period and you don't know what that's going to be, but you sort of know that it's going to be something. But the fact that he's able to like he's he's like buoyed up by something enough to pull Chris out, it's I think, supposed to be his writing. That's what let him get out like that's the lifeboat, you know, yeah, Which, where there's I mean, room
0: for someone else, yeah. And I mean, you 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 could you, you could think that that's kind of a little sort of like grossly meritocratic. But I don't think it is, that it's like it's purely oh. chance. It's purely chance, yes. right? I mean, it actually like oh here, okay, Stephen, Stephen King not being that not be that uh, <laughs> subtle here, Gordon LaChance, right? That he right. Um, that that he that you know, it's just he he just happens to have this skill and, and he, you know, he, he just happens to be born to parents who are just rich enough, not rich enough, have just enough uh, means that college is like, is thinkable. If you, and he has no control. I mean, he, you know, he, like, yes, he is doing the writing, but like the fact that he just ended up having this kind of, uh, you know, skill is purely chance and like chance depending or chance predicting who, who can have the not truly horrible outcome is, um, You know, I don't know. I mean, it's like that. Oh, damn. Like fucking the base superstructure class is really fucking hard to get out of, you know, but.
1: Absolutely. And I think that it's super important that and even like Stephen King doesn't do this himself, but his his writing is not presented as virtue in any way. It's not. No, no. He's writing like trashy stories to and in part. Because his friends like them too, you know. Like this is
0: yeah. No, that's that's a great point. That that story that uh, we talked about the first one where he's like, yeah, actually, this was this was fucking weird and misogynist, you know. And so he, but he, but you know, he. It was like one of the first things he got published, right? And so you're right. It's not. It isn't like a virtuous thing. It's 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 a purely kind of. Um, almost mercenary thing. Right. Um, so yeah, right. So like it's not, this does not index like kind of moral goodness or anything. It is, it's just something he happens to be able to do, which, um, lets him opens his kind of possibilities in a way that are just completely foreclosed for, you know, his, his others in his friends group.
1: Not to, not to beat the dead horse of it, but he publishes that story in his college newspaper.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: so it's it's like this thing, this this foregone conclusion. He's going and co- and and then he. It's I mean, a, as a person who uh, a college newspaper person, I'll just say it's not that hard to get your shit published in the college. You know what oh, I mean? No, so like, oh no, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But in any event, we're about to get to something else depressing, which is we find out what happens to everyone, and it sucks. Vern dies in a fire after a house party. Teddy drunk drives and kills himself and a car full of people. In a truly awful ending for Chris, he ends up in law school. It's his second year. He's doing amazing. And he's trying to break up a fight in a fast food place. And this is the thing that Chris th- that's said about him uh, repeatedly. He's good at making peace. Like he's the peacemaker because he's tough enough to be the peacemaker, is how it's put. But he gets. Slashed to death with a knife as he's trying to get in between this fight, and he's killed instantly. And there's another look back at Ace, too. So, this threatening older kid who's been physically incredibly violent to Gordy and violent all around has just become a sloppy, schlubby, drunk, sad, towny type guy. Which is quite distant from from who what he is during the events of the story, but like not actually, if that makes sense. So, so he's on a trajectory that leads to what you what you sort of know will happen, but only adult eyes can see that. Yeah, and Gordy is the only one who makes it by becoming Stephen King. and writing a wildly successful novel that gets made into a movie. As he's telling the story, he's written this whole suite of bestsellers. He has a wife. Congratulations. <laughs> and he's uh, he's gone to Vietnam, and um, he did the Vietnam War in the Army. And uh, he's also – he's written this, like, whole suite of bestsellers. I think he says it's seven. So that's yeah. all, folks, on Porky Pig. I mean <laughs> – yeah yeah
0: yeah no and and i think but like yeah even that final scene where uh or that final set of scenes where you know chris gets killed because he's trying to sort of intervene i mean chris is like if this is sort of like in the in the if this has a form at all of the epic chris is kind of the hero he's the one who's willing to really kind of like step up to sort of like challenge, like you know challenge the bullies and stuff and uh has had to get like physically hurt so much he's not kind of afraid of it anyway he he has the kind of heroic qualities and yet his, his end is death and tragedy and, and Gordy's is, um, again, just cause he happens to be able to write and, you know, write for the purposes of bestsellers, not, you know, for the, not some sort of great, uh, like moral purpose. Um, he, he gets out and, and, and yeah, I don't know, but that like that, maybe in one way, that's how, uh, whatever kind of like epic ideas are, are circulating here, Don't necessarily work, and that the the hero kind of well, I don't know, but the hero then like the the hero's death would take it back to the bard though. You know, like like uh I don't, and I I feel I yeah. don't know, I'm a little bit worried about like I, that I'm leaning too hard into this, and I have to I don't know if that's what King was doing, but what what are we left with at the end of the Odyssey? Not Odysseus, we're back to Homer, right? You know, but but right. like, but but Homer as the writer of a bestseller is just such a funny <laughs> idea, you know what I mean? So like, like I do,
1: I really do think it works. I really yeah. I really do. Yeah. I don't think you're leaning too hard on it. This story rewards doing that. I think finding a frame to to read it with there is this uh, kind of speaking to what you were saying earlier there's one part at the so Stephen king like doesn't make you think about stuff sometimes he just tells <laughs> you right there yeah <laughs> so there's this one part it's the end of that section and he said and he says About them splitting up, Teddy and Vern slowly became just two more faces in the halls or in 3.30 detention. We nodded and said hi. That was all. It happens. Friends come in and out of your life like busboys in a restaurant. Did you ever notice that? But when I think of that dream, this dream, he said it's a nightmare. The corpses under the water pulling implacably at my legs. It seems right that it should be that way. Some people drown. That's all. It's not fair, but it happens. Some people drown. And I actually don't think that's a Stephen King thing. I think this is like very much in the narrator in the narrator's voice because he is unable to come up with an explanation for what's happened because it's because it's too big. He's not gonna tell us base and superstructure. You no, know?
0: no, no. Right, right, right. No, you're right. The, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And well, because I was gonna say, well, the, but yeah, but the story itself, the novel itself, might not either really be willing to resolve that. But I think you're right that that the not like from the perspective of the novel rather than kind of like Gordon's perspective, we are like, I think structures are a little bit more in view maybe. And so like, yeah, that also like, yes, I mean, like whether, whether you are in, whether you are ever able to escape your kind of like class position, that is like almost purely a matter of chance. But there's a little bit more robustness there than how I think Gordon is sort of thinking of it, Um, you know, where it's just like, them's the brakes, basically, you know, so. uh, Yeah. Yeah. And
1: and I think that the weakness of the explanation is sort of about the fact that he can't, it would be too pussy for him to say, you know, like as in his, in how he would put it, right? like. Well, no, to say anything else about it.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. And I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because, yes, he like he still does use it. Like, yeah, I mean, too, like too pussy and stuff. He still does use that kind of like misogynistic and homophobic language himself as the adult Gordon. And like, yes, I think, again, that's a way in which the novel distances itself from this character that he has become interpolated, even though he like escapes this town and like is quite financially successful. He has been sort of interpolating as a specific kind of like mid-century like heteromasculinity that yeah the novel definitely is like that is that really where we want to go <laughs> you know right. so, so anyway yeah um but anyway uh, can you do you uh, have a little context for us
1: yeah so just a little context here um this collection came out in 1982 which was when Stephen King was already s- like super successful And so it was said that Stephen King could publish his laundry list and it would be a bestseller. And Stephen King was like, well, I have like I I don't have a laundry list that's ready for print, but I do have these leftovers, my non-horror leftovers. And this collection different seasons is what those are originally it was only three stories so it was um Shawshank Redemption apt pupil which is easy I I can't stress enough how much it's the worst story in the bunch (laughs)
0: yeah 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 (laughs) like
1: it's it's so inferior to the others.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I've not read the uh, Red Sh- uh, Shank, but I mean, the I mean, the, the movie's got fucking uh, Morgan Freeman and uh, Tim Robbins. You know, I mean, how's that? How's that not going to be a good yeah. time? <laughs> Although I could also say, well, hell, I, at pupil has he and but you know, I, I fully believe you that it's the worst one in the bunch. So you know, <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, I just, I just think it. Yeah, I, I just think it's sort of um, the violence in. In this story is viscerally disgusting, but it's very explicable. And what Stephen King's doing in that story is like, what if a a completely insane kid had a Nazi neighbor? But there's also this so we' got Shawshank at pupil and um and the body, and that was going to be it. But the publisher was like, "Well, we can't call this different seasons unless there's four. So, <laughs> Yeah,
0: that's such publisher bullshit. Yeah, yeah.
1: So, so he added um, uh, the breathing method, which is like, which is a fine. That's the most spooky. That's like the spooky ghost story of the of the mm-hmm. bunch. Yeah. There's also this about the body. There's this like semi-famous plagiarism controversy. So Stephen King had two things happen to him that are kind of the basis of the story. So when he was like little, little, four,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I was I was like, how old? Two, three, four, eight, 17? <laughs> I don't know what kids are. But he came home totally fucked up and wouldn't tell his mom what happened. And it turns out that he saw his friend get hit by a train and die. Jesus. Yeah. Like very, like he saw his like just got done being a toddler friend get hit by a train.
0: What the fuck?
1: Yeah. It's this, incredible it has to be a formative atrocious tragedy he also did go with uh with friends to see the dead body of a man who i think was dredged up from a from a pond and i think i think he'd like died on a boat but anyway he was pulled out of the water and he was like for some reason just there and so he he went with his friends to see it and so there's also the story is dedicated to this guy. Uh, he's Stephen King's college roommate. Congratulations, that's who you are now.
0: Gordon McLeod dedicated- is that is that the name? That's what's on the first page of this uh, this edition I've got.
1: Yep, okay. that is that's exactly right. And so he told Stephen King, like, "Hey, I'm writing this story about the time that my friends and I walked along this train track to see the to see a dead dog." Uh-huh. And he never, but he never finished it. He
0: right. just was like,
1: "I'm writing this dead dog story." Never finished it.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Um. Then, but Stephen King like did finish it, yeah. and when the story came out, his friend was chill about it. Uh, and it, you know the aforementioned dedication, but then the movie came out, and the guy got less chill. And uh, and, <laughs> and
0: yeah, yeah. Well, I could I could see that. Yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, yeah absolutely and and so that's also why stephen king now when people send him things he like won't won't read it or look at it
0: mm, okay. um yeah okay well <laughs> i mean like but you, you didn't finish it you just left it there so you know finders keepers man yeah <laughs> exactly no tr- yeah. like
1: like true though and yeah. and the uh the, i'm just pulling up this i i read this on an authorized biography of Stephen King, which is like something I never thought I would say. Um.
0: <laughs> <laughs> those can be real trashy the oh my god his biography, yeah.
1: yep Th- this one is a little bit that way it- yeah. it's like hard it's hard to be that trashy about Stephen King because he just there's not a lot there to be tra- the guy just like sit- sits in his ass in a chair and writes and has had and has psychology yeah um,
0: yeah I mean that's that's been my impression of of him uh, from everything I've ever read so yeah
1: I think he's like a vaguely decent guy who does have some serious uh childhood demons which are fair enough but the the unauthorized bio is um it's called haunted heart and it tells the story about the plagiarism thing and it also mentions the way that stephen king is so essentially like if you if you like breathe interestingly he's going to take it and turn it into a story like he'll take <laughs> like you cannot tell the man an anecdote i don't think
0: yeah, yeah. cuz he
1: will just take it and i think it's one of those things where like that's if you are this prolific you just like t- you just like write a bunch of shit no and i i,
0: I mean the other thing too that i I mean, obviously, I think you know, like, like, like lifting people's stuff is 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 mess. And I'm not, you know, I, I, other than the what we're getting from other sources, you know, we don't we don't know the uh, the the facts of the case. But I will say, like, yeah, I, okay, just lifting stuff from other people without attribution—that's fuck job. But until the modern print culture, and a lot of this has to do with like publishers' rights. Right, writing was very much thought of as, you know, an aggregate activity at a at creational. And well, I mean, you go back far enough. People were just like ripping off of each other all the time. But I mean, I just, I do, I don't know. It's like, again, I'm not, this isn't anything like, well, so plagiarism is actually fine. That's, no, I don't. I mean, <laughs> cer- certainly not. But I do think that there is a way in which these questions with like proprietorship and the hot, you know, extremely capitalist press have become energized in a way that I just sort of maybe some wish wasn't true that I, I do, I do kind of like, and again, and again, like what you're describing is a different situation than what I'm, I'm envisioning. But like the idea of writing broadly is kind of a collaborative, and generative process. I sort of, I like, I like, I wish that we could have more of that under the conditions of like extremely monetized print culture, you know?
1: Well, I agree. And also I should clarify a little bit. I don't think that this, this guy doesn't own the story of a boy's walking no. along train tracks to see a dead thing. Yeah, like, I agree. Yeah, I really just feel like this is not about the plagiarism, you know. And yeah. I, because I, I just, I don't think it's. I'm sorry, but I don't think that he has to. Pl- I don't think he has to steal his college roommate's story <laughs> in a, in a meaningful way. Like he, he's not short of material
0: yeah no no for sure for sure um but no that that is yeah that that's interesting he's such a he's a weird guy but you're right he's a very like normal guy too as well it's an interesting it's an interesting uh interesting mix um uh but yeah he just yeah he seems to sit, sit in his attic and think and write uh and you know apparently has a fucked up childhood you know but
1: yeah which is and he was you can tell but he grew up in a super super poor part of maine like i don't know so like weirdly my family uh is was all like living in cabins in maine and stuff due to being poor like living in the woods Mm -hmm. and it's a kind of poverty that people often who haven't like visited new england they don't expect
0: no 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 definitely it's because I think pe- people think it's like the fucking Bush compound, a kind of bunk and like you know the lobster fishery, um, and and like yeah, a bunch of like a bunch of like rich uh, like coastal communities, which are there, but then the interior is forest and agriculture. And, and yeah, it is, and it, it is remote. I mean, it's like, it's weird to think of that. I mean, cause Oh, like Boston's not as the crow flies that far, but it is, you know, I, I mean at least until and this is something the novel points out at least until fairly recently in history, uh, like Western Maine was, I mean, you know, it's, ma- it's wooded, it's woodland and mountains, you know, yeah. and that, that's, that's what Appalachia is, you know, like and yeah. it, it is, I mean, in the technical sense it is part of Appalachia, you know, but.
1: Yeah, and and it and if you go to the right place, it shows, you know. And yeah, I guess the best the best way I can sort of think to describe it is, everybody knows that New Hampshire state motto is the most metal state motto. It's
0: <laughs> it's live the most for or die, libertarian state motto. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> um. Not, yeah. <laughs> If you can take it in a non-libertarian sense, <laughs> so yeah,
0: maybe like it says a yes, like, like like let's take let's choose to take it in an anarchist sense, right? Yeah, yes, yeah. The, yeah.
1: yeah, but you you have like it's the it's like the live for your die crowd. It's like yeah. the live in the woods because no one can tell me what to do, and I'm so and like and and there's and, and I'm also so poor that. I'm inhabiting this as a choice, but in fact, you know what I mean? Like
0: it's, it's um, like when Walter White goes on the lamb, um, when shit, when the heat really gets on and goes and like smuggles himself to that cabin with no road going to it in, in, in Northern New Hampshire. It's basically, that's basically what we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, where Walter White's hidey hole. But anyway, back to Stephen King. Um, <laughs> Stephen King has also written this book on writing, which where he gives an account of this of his uh, fairly shitty early life. So if you want to know more about that, check that. And and it also it also details some of his early, like a good bit of his actual practice. So. He writes like an absolute maniac by being completely normal about it. Um, he he like sits, he does he does like a sh- a short outline, he does a draft, he waits six weeks, he returns to it. He has a method. Now that there's like word processors, you know, like he's no longer working a typewriter, so it's it's all just like very workmanlike, boring stuff, and interspersed with these bizarre and slightly disturbing anecdotes. It's it's. It is what it is. It's what you think it is.
0: Yeah. It sounds like the anti Hunter Thompson method of writing, which is to um, just get as high as possible at all times, be a complete maniac. And somehow in a burst of like frenetic uh, manic activity between like 2 AM and 7 AM to just bang out some, you know, often, you know, pretty good shit. on, You know, something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, no, that's I uh, I don't know. Was it, I, I, Hunter Thompson, uh, uh, he, um, he, well, I mean, he died quite, uh, you know, Tragically, at the end, um but he, th- I, th- I feel like there's a reason why Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas was like the last good. Th- like you can't live that way that long and really keep the creative juices <laughs> flowing. No, <But> <laughs> no, his, I... his 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 obituary of Richard Nixon from '94 is one of the best pieces of political writing of all time. But
1: oh god, I want to go back to that. That what? Yeah. Wh- yeah.
0: Like the headline was, he, he was a crook, you know, which is that, that that's exactly how you treat someone like that. Uh, who died. Um, anyway, uh, okay well uh no thanks for suggesting this i'm sorry megan uh couldn't be with us because uh, I, I i just on the forum questions i'm, I'm sure sh- in addition to everything else i'm sure she will have a lot to say but um but but Meg will be back with us next week and uh to, to, to wrap this up and and yeah th- thanks for the suggestion I, I was it was it was a ton of fun to read and to talk about
1: this is this is a great one and um Meg we miss you and uh, we'll be happy to have you back next week.
0: Yep, definitely. Or whatever.
1: Next yeah. time.
0: When next time we record. Yes. It's it's been it has been a a very um busy <laughs> and uh a fucked up period for for all of us, but uh we we'll, we we'll, we're we're coming back with a with a new episode soon. Um so, do you have a do you have a game for us to wrap up with Katie?
1: You know what I have today? I couldn't do it. Um <laughs> I could not. I had nothing left to give. So what I figured was all these BuzzFeed quizzes, let's take an actual BuzzFeed quiz. Oh, um,
0: okay. All right. <laughs> and
1: I did. I did uh make Tristan a promise which was that if this is better than my fake BuzzFeed quizzes that I'm retiring from podcasting, um <laughs> So no. let's hope this is good, but not well, too good.
0: What? I highly doubt that it is. And and two, you know, you're, you're not, you, what, what do you, what do you think this is? Some kind of communist utopia where you can just retire <laughs> <No, laughs> for our free no. podcast that we do for fun? Yeah.
1: I'll be podcasting till I'm 80. <laughs> we'll all be gathered around the microphones, but, uh, but okay. Are you, so are you ready to find I am, out? Right. Let's, um, let's do yeah. it. So, um, Shouts out to the author of this, uh, Allie Hayes, who wrote this quiz. Everyone has a Stephen King character who matches their personality. Here's yours. um. So, Tristan, <laughs> get ready.
0: Okay. Uh, we're
1: going to find out. We're going to find out what yours is. Okay. um, Your favorite candy to get while trick-or-treating. I'm going to read you some choices. Starbursts, M&Ms, Snickers, Skittles, Reese's, or Milky Way?
0: Oh fuck, you got both Starburst and Skittles in there. You, we've yeah. talked about this. You know, I I think that this is a mid Atlantic, mid-Atlantic shithead thing that we both share. I, <laughs> li- I mean, I like chocolate. I like all junk foods. Um, but I love fake fruit candy so much. Yes. And I put you know, gun to my head, Skittles or Starburst. I have to take Skittles, but it's close. And also okay. like Yes, I, I don't know. Like, some people are very refined with how they like choose. Uh, <laughs> like, it's a, one skittle at a time. It's like, no, 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 oh, no, 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 taste gotta, the rainbow. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta taste the rainbow, man. That you need a fistful of skittles at once, but yeah, skittles, skittles is yeah. 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 yeah.
1: that No, that's a serving, a fistful. Yeah. Okay. Choose the word that describes your personality the best. Oh, my God. Kind, optimistic, easygoing. <laughs> realistic intelligent or funny oh my god
0: I like i to say intelligent <laughs> you
1: know? yeah um
0: I, I mean I I don't know Katie what's my, p- uh, what's my what's personality
1: <laughs> I, I'm gonna pick I'm gonna pick um your doctor intelligent um <laughs> okay right. and you because you could never pick you could never pick that because you'd be a maniac no you would be um, like
0: I, you'd look like an asshole, cause. You know, like, yeah. like, so. All right. Yeah. Well that, well thank you. Thank you. I, I could I would have never, you know.
1: No, <laughs> so if you no, but pick just, for I, yourself, you have to be like
0: easygoing. Well no, I mean it's the thing is it's like I do feel like a lot of people would describe me as easygoing, but no one who has heard me rant, and everyone who listens to this show has, so they would be like, What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> you know. <so. laughs>
1: oh after having TA'd for you, um <laughs>
0: uh
1: no but um no you actually were easygoing uh but but we had fun but okay so i'm gonna ask you choose a horror movie poster that gives you the heebie-jeebies i'll do a quick description there's saw which is a dead hand cut off of its dead body yeah Alice, sweet Alice, which is a a creepy mask lady who has um, put a knife into a uh, baby doll. Brain dead, which is a skull in a mouth. The evil dead, which is a hand coming out to non-erotically choke a lady. Um, (laughs) And uh, the descent, which is a bunch of bodies made into skull, into the shape of a skull. Or us, which is a lady with a tear coming out of her eyeball and a mask that looks just like her own face in her hand
0: i mean the whole saw franchise is so deeply fucked up that i i i think i mean these all do sound pretty creepy but i'm gonna go with that (laughs) i'm reminded of an onion column that was like man whose favorite franchise is saw um is 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 allowed to vote uh, <laughs> like, yeah. yeah okay i mean i'm not you know i guess like, like oh we need to we need more educated voters or whatever it's like yeah but I, I don't know i feel like i feel like being really 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 into the saw movies is um there's some anti-socialness that's being <laughs> signaled there you know yeah,
1: yeah no i think if those are your favorite movies you shouldn't be allowed to do anything yeah. except go to see a professional about yes. it yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. That's all. Oh, you're gonna love this one. Choose the color that best matches your aura. Is it red? Yes, it's red. Blue. Of course, it's red. It's red. Okay, it's red. Yeah, we don't need to go <laughs> yeah, to
0: the rest of the What 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 show are we listening to here? Yeah. You know? but, yeah. Come on, man. Yeah.
1: Okay. Choose a novel that was absolutely not written by Stephen King. Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's <laughs> Stone, Charlotte's Web, Where the Wild Things Are, Goodnight Moon. The Little Prince or The Giving Tree?
0: The, you know what? The Giving Tree is a fucked up book. Oh, it's what, sick. It is so fucking sick. And apparently, uh, Sir Shelf Silverstein was like, oh, I I actually didn't consider how fucked up this was. It's like, what are you talking? I mean, this is a terrible what? story. Um,
1: then that makes him more fucked up than anyone
0: <clears throat> yeah. else. Um. Never would have picked Harry Potter, and certainly I'm not picking Harry Potter after uh, uh, Rowling's uh, transphobias. Uh, you know, it's <laughs> just getting uh, more and more uh, deranged. I, I, where the Maurice Sendak rocks. I love where the wild things are. I'll go with that.
1: Yeah. Okay. Choose an everyday thing that is wildly creepy for no reason. A big uncovered window at night. Mm-hmm. A group of children singing. An empty playground. A Ouija board sitting alone on a table, a cat meowing at nothing, or a forest, that's it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean nature is terrifying. Um <clears throat> yeah. I uh, sorry, what was the second one again?
1: A group of children singing. Oh,
0: yeah. No, that's the one. Yeah. Yep, there we go. That's, I mean, I've got I and look, I'm you know, i I love my kid who's six and he has music class now. And I mean in context, right, in context. <laughs> It's fine, but I mean, just like walking down the street and suddenly hear children, like in the distance, and singing that—that'll send a chill up your spine, you know.
1: Oh my and, god, fuck that!
0: And children's songs too. It's like so. It's like ring around the road. It's like oh, we're talking about the bubonic plague now.
1: Yeah, yep. <laughs> yep. You know ashes, ashes, we all <laughs> yeah, fall yeah, down. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is feeling regular yeah. already. Yeah. Okay, but here's the last one. Okay. <laughs> your favorite horror movie villain. Um, okay, we have Candyman yeah. from Candyman. Jason Voorhees mm-hmm. uh, from Friday the 13th. He's the, this isn't helping me, but he he's the hockey mask guy, right? Yeah, he's
0: a hockey mask guy. That's right. Yeah.
1: He, yeah, they got him with a burlap sack over his head in this picture, and that's ridiculous. Freddy <laughs> Krueger uh, yeah. from A Nightmare on Elm yeah. Street. The Xenomorph from <gasps> Alien. Oh, which wow. Is, that's a sick one. Leatherface from the Chainsaw Massacre, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, or Ghostface from Scream.
0: See, Who's your I, favorite? These are all pretty metal, I have to say. I was originally <laughs> gonna say uh, Candyman, you know, Chicago, like Chicago, uh, Chicago Pride there, but I have Alien is so incredible. Uh, not the whole franchise, but the first, which we, you know, in, in the the MA program, Megan and I teach in, like, we often show Alien at the very beginning of the year. It is such an amazing critique of capital and, uh, well, it, it's, you know, among many other things. Um, but at the Xenomorph, you know, designed by H.R. Geiger is one of the most terrifying fucking things from any, like any franchise. I've got to go with the Xenomorph because Alien slaps.
1: Uh, agree completely also yeah alien aliens the shit and also i was reminded of the the game dead space which rips off a lot of alien and um it is also like has a lot of the same virtues it gets a little sloppy and weird but um yeah yeah, if you're if you're (laughs) hankering for some extra alien okay here's who you are oh this is Okay, this is all right. Um you're Danny Torrance from The Shining. You're a truly <laughs> special individual gifted with unique talents. Also, you grew up to be you and McGregor, so congratulations.
0: Red drum. Red. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean, I I'll take I mean, you know, I feel bad for Danny. I'll take Danny over Jack. That's for damn sure.
1: Yeah. And I, Although think
0: I, I would like I would like to be Jack Nicholson, but not Jack Torrance. <laughs> you know?
1: Yes. Yes. No. I. I, I don't want to have to. Nobody wants to go in the maze and get you, Tristan. It's
0: cold. Yeah. Cool. Well, that. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well. That, well. Thanks, BuzzFeed. That was. A, that was a fun quiz. But. Uh, yeah. But no, Katie, you're you were not off the hook because um your your quizzes <laughs> are better. But uh, anyway. I
1: thought you were gonna make BuzzFeed third mic. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. We're, yes, for sure. But we'll get one of the a very uh very uh normie lib BuzzFeed journalists as third mic. It just to mix things up, you know, like it's a little bit like inviting a pod John onto the show, you know. But
1: Oh anyway. yeah, we totally should too. <laughs> <laughs> I bet we could get the the lesser the the le- the lesser one. I don't know who the le- the yeah. least lesser one is, but
0: yeah, John Vitor or Tommy. I'm I know that I'm messing up their <laughs> names on purpose. Um, okay, anyway, uh, well, this was fun. Um, this has been Better Red Than Dead. You can find Megan on Twitter at Suarez You can find me on Twitter at TJ Schweiger. You can find Katie on Twitter at Katie Crywo. You can find the show on Twitter and Instagram at Better Red Pod, spelled R E A D. And email us at better at podcast but only if it's to tell us about your favorite Stephen King book that would have been better if it were like seventy five percent shorter. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, he, he's, yeah, yeah, he, keep that ready tight, Stephen, and you're, you're awesome. <laughs> yeah. um, don't the clown villain or you know, ghost from the nineteen twenties. Don't you know, stick with all work and no play makes Jack a doll boy. That just stick stick with that. <laughs> um, our intro music it in, buddy yeah suck it in that's right our intro music is lev bronstein by the redskins and use with their permission our logo was created by jane bonsack of jb design and content please rate review and subscribe um and you know for, remember stickers and buttons you know send us, send us a review if you want them they're cool we'll be back soon with the last installment of our fall spook fest the monk which i have heard is deeply insane and i'm looking forward to it and then we've got the whole second half of the season coming up. So we got Clutell, Edith Wharton, Samuel Delaney, George Lamming, among other good stuff. Thanks, comrades. When the night has come And the land is dark And the moon is the only light we'll see No, I won't- Afraid? Oh, I won't be afraid. Just as long as you stand, stand by me. So, darling.